Hello, everyone, and welcome to Drew World Order. I'm State Representative Andrew Beeler. I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, State Representative Andrew Fink. And we are here to do what we do every week, talk about what is going on in Lansing, what are the issues we're facing, and how your state representatives are furthering the cause of lowercase l, liberal democracy. Representative Fink, what are we talking about? I want to talk about um, sort of a retrospective uh, from you know now until back to last March and the the state response to COVID-19 and lessons learned because it's so easy to learn the wrong lessons from what is, you know, called a crisis or uh, in this case, a pandemic specifically. Uh, so often uh, the, the government kind of thinks that it, it failed in terms of control, uh, but there are also ways in which the government can fail in terms of, um, trusting the citizens. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I want to think about today is to use Michael Scott's term microgement. My what? Microgement. Microgement? Also known as micromanagement. <laughs> that's an episode of the office. I've forgotten that one. <laughs> I think I've seen every episode so I, I just forgot. Yes, but right, microgement <laughs> of uh of of the people and um and the ways in which the people try to associate. So that's so that's did, what I want to go through. Did you use the the acronym PBED in the Marines? In the, in the Marine Corps? No. Okay. Plan, brief, execute, debrief. One of the seven sound operating principles, shipboard operating principles in the surface Navy. And plan, brief, execute, debrief. That was the process we went through for everything. And we would debrief everything. The 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 evolution that took us from out to sea into port at the end of our deployment, we debriefed. Our families were waiting for us on the pier after eight months. And we debriefed that evolution. We brought all the controlling stations in and debriefed. So I think what we're talking about doing is a debrief, is a postmortem. And, and I think you said lessons learned, right? Gathering those lessons learned. I had a, I had a, uh, a fellow officer and he, he kind of coined the term lessons observed versus lessons learned. If you just observe the lessons, but don't take action on them, it's just a lesson observed. And I think that when you're talking about state policy, it's so important that we actually learn the lesson and, and just be frank about it, right? Where did we go wrong? Where did we do some things right? How would we do this better? Yeah, that's good. That's taking it one step further than Sherlock Holmes, who I think chastised Watson for, he said, you see, but you do not observe. But what you're talking about here is kind of completing the OODA loop, observing, and then deciding what to do about your observations. So thus far this episode, we have an office reference, a a Navy acronym reference, a Marine Corps acronym reference, and a Sherlock Holmes reference. I have to give credit to the Air Force for the OODA loop. That's Colonel John Boyd. That's, a, that's, a, that's an Air Force we win. We should charge for this episode. So uh, the point is, yes, if we because if we don't if we don't do an after action, you know, analysis of what of what we did, um, then we are not just doomed to kind of repeat the same lessons uh, uh, over again. Um, but we, you know, we won't be ready for the next thing because, you know, thinking about how to approach uh, an unexpected event like COVID-19, um, you can make mistakes. So meat and potatoes. Let's go. So, yeah. So I like Here's an example. We voted, I think, a few times during our first few months here uh, to use some of the so-called COVID relief money from the federal government. Uh, and let me just stipulate here, like that money is actually air quotes that. Yeah, that money is not from the federal government. That is from the people of the United States in the future. But let's just <laughs> it's from my children. Yeah. And my children and my children's children. Probably. Let's just say that once so we don't have to say it every time. But yes, but like we recognize here, like that's really Air what's going money. on. Yeah. All right. But so we got this federal money, so to speak. And 
Um, and we want to use some of it to refund, uh, for instance, liquor license renewal fees for restaurants that had a liquor license and then were literally closed by the government for over 150 days in a year. Mm -hmm. So you're paying for the state to give you permission to serve free individuals a legal substance. Yeah. And then we say, no, you can't. So we but say, you no, still you have to pay us. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's just ridiculous. That's right. That was the insane part. It's like, okay, a liquor license renewal fee. Uh, we're closing because of the pandemic. Let's just for the moment say, fine, we're closed because of the pandemic. The state's making you be closed because of the pandemic. And then the legislature offers to give the money back. And for some reason, the governor says, no. Yeah. No, we can't use this money. Uh, or we shouldn't use this money. I don't. I don't think that was one of the areas where she said we can't. We shouldn't use this money to refund people whose businesses. Um, and by the way, not just their business. You know, in fact, let's let's also get this out of the way. When we talk about small businesses, we were talking about small business owners, yeah. and we were talking very much about small business employees. Yeah. You know, we had terrific testimony, heart wrenching testimony from a lady who owned a microbrewery and winery in Fenton, I think, who came in and talked about her work family and how heartbreaking it was to tell her, I think she had 32 or something like that employees that they were deemed by their government, non-essential workers and had to go home and become unemployed uh, despite all the work that they had done to be COVID safe. And that was, at, that was the second time. Yeah. You know, she's talking about in November when she had to have this conversation for a second time Yeah, and how, uh, insulting it was to be told by the government that the business that she and her husband had worked so hard to build was not essential. And then to tell her employer employees, uh, you know, these people who, who, you know, she cares about so deeply, yeah. their work is yeah. not essential. Yeah. And then when we try to, to look back at this and say, all right, I think that we mistreated these people by closing their businesses and charging them all the taxes and fees we do anyway. The government, uh, the governor then adds insult to injury by saying, no, can't give them a break on these things yeah. that we charged them for and didn't let them enjoy. Yeah. And that is, it was kind of an interesting spot to be in, right? Because you and I come in as, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to, fiscal conservatives, small government people. And we're in this position where we're doling out large sums of money, but you hit the nail on the head. This was an unprecedented um, in insertion of the government into people's, I think to use your terms, private and professional lives. And so unprecedented action is is kind of warranted, right? Almost never before has a government unilaterally come in and shut down industries, right? Broad swaths of businesses. And so the idea of forgiving people's fees, that that makes some sense, right? Particularly when it's money that is not tax revenue, at least from living citizens. Um, but you know, that, that was a weird position to be in. We're, we're appropriating large sums of money that makes people uncomfortable. Um, and yet it's still the right thing to do to give it to these business owners. And then we're told no. It was the government who closed them. I mean, Correct. Yeah. The, the people were not given the opportunity. Uh, and, and again, this is a slightly different point to litigate, but I, I suppose it's probably the next place we should go. The, the people were not given the opportunity to decide whether to patronize these businesses. Yeah. It, there was no market failure. Yeah. There was a closure of the market by the government. Yep. So let's talk then a little bit about the closure itself. I mean, yeah. this, I mean this is essentially the crux of the conversation. Right. Really, and, you know. and I think for purposes of the conversation, when we say closure, we should just, I would say, cast a, a broad net right here. We are talking about all of the closures, restrictions, yeah. whether it be capacity or, or what have you. Um, they change we, shapes yeah. and sizes throughout. I am not pulling out my historical book of Governor Whitmer's 
orders and going through each one individually and treating these subjects with all the nuance that we could, Correct. which would be an insane amount of right. nuance because we're talking about hundreds or thousands of pages of orders, right. FAQs, uh, different departments, MyOSHA, DHHS, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. We're going we're gonna to have to paint with a broad brush here or else our conversation and, will become even more frankly, incoherent than it is. To draw the comparison between a state like ours and a state like Florida, right? That That just on the spectrum of states was much less restricted than our state. And so that, I think, is the goal of this conversation. But yeah. So what's the government good at? I mean, in this case, what what could the government have done uh, better than, say, a market actor or whatever? I, I think I have an answer where at least the government could have been uh, helpful. And that is in assembling and disseminating information. Mm -hmm. And that's just because the government is it's overarching. Right. The government has, you know, the state government has. Uh, literal contact with the entirety of the state, all 10 million of us, all of our businesses, all of the universities, and, everything. And a platform, right? You, you and right. I, uh, you, the doctor who lives down the street from you, can't get up and get on a press conference that the entire state will watch. That's right. And so what the government had an advantage in it was the ability to collect and disseminate information. Yeah. What the government, I think, did not have an advantage in is in determining how all 10 million people process and evaluate that information and the decisions that they're going to make Absolutely. on a day-to-day -day basis. Yep. You, you and I are coming from working in the government, in the military. They are bad at making risk assessments because the government's risk tolerance time and time again is zero. And I think that's what we saw. So throughout, I, I absolutely agree with information. The other thing that I would add in that is resources. As we saw early on when ventilators were, were a very hot commodity, we saw people reaching across state lines to get the ventilators that we needed. Um, this is not a you know an opinion on the efficacy of ventilators, which I think is up in the air. It's more a testament of our ability to reach across state lines. So I put information and resources in that category. Um, but I think that what, what they are particularly bad at is making risk assessments for individuals. And, and that is where I think if I had to paint with the broadest brush possible, that is where I would fall on this issue is provide information, provide resources, let individuals make their own risk decisions. You know what a strange piece of evidence that supports what you're saying is, uh, Andrew? There's it, probably many. Well, the, one of the strange ones is when, and this was true in other places too, not just in Michigan, when the stay at home, stay safe order shutdown order, whatever you want to call it, was initially introduced. I want to say it was March either 13th or 23rd for some reason, ending in a three sticks in my mind. Um, the cell phone data shows that people had more or less been staying at home already. Right. I mean, we already were aware that there was this thing happening that we didn't understand. Exactly. We hadn't experienced before and we were beginning to make decisions about it. You know, um, I consider it, I consider it a silver lining that our state, um, our state never said that churches couldn't gather. Yeah. Uh, but many churches stopped gathering right. yep. voluntarily yep. anyway. Archdiocese, at least in my church, the, the capital C church, yeah, that's uh, made decisions right for ourselves. And, that, and I'm sure yours did very similar. And so I, in fact, I think unless I'm wrong, all the bishops in Michigan told all of Correct. them. Yeah. So, um, so the, yeah, all, there were no Catholic church services, uh, open to the public during, during maybe a 10 week period, something like that. Um, and, and the state didn't have to tell them whether to do that or not to do that. Right. I mean, now I will say many parishioners at many different churches didn't like how their priests or pastors or whatever handled this thing. Yeah. But that's a question that they can sort out among themselves. It'd be an interesting conversation to 
have this talk about this topic from that position, right? Because you and I are talking about this from the government's position, which is very different than if we're a private business owner, if you're running your own church. I mean, totally different. Um, and it'd be interesting to go into like the theological issues that were brought up um, by just giving people dispensation from different church services. But in any event, kind of a different, kind of a different conversation. I don't think where, our listeners are here for that. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> you never know. But, uh, but I do, but I mean, I mean, the point, the point we're getting at here, it just, it, it gets back to what we're saying about the ability to kind of provide information and allocate resources in large muscle movements. It doesn't help a, a person decide, um, you know, whether, uh, say to, well, you know what, we actually did see some of this and and it kind of, you know, it's, it was one of these deals where, uh, even the strongest take kind of like people undermined it themselves. So we had like these COVID pods where people would sort of say like, well, I'm staying home and staying safe, but I'm allowed to hang out with these three buddies right, or whatever. Right. And it, everybody knows that there was kind of like leakage there or whatever, but Absolutely. I guess it just, it just does get back to the point where like even people who sort of consider themselves to be very you know, cautious during COVID-19, many of them still had some little outlets. And obviously like people still kept going to the store and things. Right. I mean, cause you can't literally right. stop people from going to the grocery store. Exactly. Uh, or they'll die. Yeah. So <laughs> running, running close here on time, I'm going to give you a million dollar question. Was anything done correctly in the state of Michigan? Um, I've already said like not closing churches. Yeah. But that's, that's a caveat to the overall, right. You know, major mistake of essentially ordering everybody to stay at home for the first go round. Yeah. Like 12 weeks or something. Yeah. Whatever it was. Maybe it was only like ten, eight or 10, but, yeah. uh, so, I mean, or, or, um, I think I want to say that, that governor Whitmer in her early orders, you know, didn't prohibit people from going to parks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those were good exceptions, I in a, in a sense, but like it's in a neg it's in a bad context where yeah. the the basic point here was. So, did we get anything right? I mean, we 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 didn't make some of the mistakes that other places could have did make. And right, we could have. We didn't fall here. into every pothole. But the basic problem was still just a fundamental misconception yeah. of self government. Yeah, and um and giving giving the people who, as a people, are much more intelligent than the bureaucrats will ever be. Yeah giving them information and letting them yeah. uh, uh, sort it out in their own lives. Yeah. My, my answer to that had it been posed to me would have been with all the flaws in the communication itself. The fact that she was communicating the governor I'm talking about um, was helpful, right? It, there was conflicting messages all the time. The orders were unclear, but to do nothing is to at least communicate and, and, you and I have seen crises in the past where just nothing happens, right? It is just silence. And and I think that that is a one, it feeds into the, into the fear, but I think her willingness to, to, to get up and, and do her, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt to do her best to, to try to communicate um, the newest orders and things like that. Uh, it's, it's such a kind of a weak uh, compliment just because there are, you know, what? there were so many issues with that in and of itself, but trying to find something, um, that was done correctly. I would I would say it was the effort to communicate. I'm going to try to talk you out of this one, and the reason <laughs> Here is we go. <laughs> because the communication never included uh, it. You know, many references to data or science. Sure, but never a this means this piece of data means this to me, and this piece of data would mean that to me until like 
six weeks ago when we had the so-called back to normal plan that was immediately put in the trash. Yeah. So, you know, yes, there were many press appearances, but I don't actually think that the people were given helpful information from them. You know, I, I really don't. And I mean, it, the communication is only helpful if it helps you understand how the decisions that were so restrictive of the pe in people's lives were, were going to be made going forward, whether there was anything you could do to adjust it. And it was a black box. So you're right that there was a lot of talk. I don't I, I don't know that I I I. I'm not even going to give partial credit on that one because it was just the, it was so opaque. A, A to F. What grade does communication get? F. Okay. A F because, well. But not a U. What's a U? Un. Un. Or I incomplete. I. Thank you. Well, I mean, I suppose you could say it that way because the communication. You about, used to be a thing. Well, you. I think so. I don't know, maybe in Catholic school. <laughs> it's a Catholic school. Thing. But I, I like what I'm saying here is. She doesn't get an I. You know what? And and I'm going to take one step further. I know we're, we're we're going a little longer than we meant to here, but but the last thing I'll say about this is the communication is even worse when it is inconsistently applied. Agreed. So on the one hand, the communication about like who was closed, like you could call it clear. I mean, if you if you were willing to to do the painstaking work of reading through these orders and like trying For to sure. you know hold up version five against the light with version six behind it to see where the words change. Yeah, that was clear in a sense but at the same time given how inconsistent the application has been that doesn't feel very clear and in a sense like the the nitnoid details of of ordering people's lives around like that felt in a certain sense like a, a different form of government than normal american government but so does the just general assumption that like if I violate these rules, probably nothing will happen. Or if the governor violates the rules, then they'll just get changed so that what she just did wouldn't violate the rules anymore, yeah. which we literally saw. Yeah. So I no, I don't feel good about the communication either. Okay. Nothing like getting trashed on your own podcast. I just said I'm trying to talk you out of it. <laughs> I'm not here to be the defender of the governor's communication. Um, that's good. You don't have to. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's that's something of a COVID look back from Drew Old Order. Obviously, it's it's still an ongoing conversation. Uh, but that's uh, that's kind of, you know, after half a year as legislators and uh, having our, all the answers <laughs> now that we have all the answers <laughs> now. But 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 also having been citizens throughout yeah. uh, and, and talking with our own constituents and our own citizens. You know, those are those are some of the considerations that at least are going to be on my mind as we as we think about how to adjust policy and policy making going forward. Yeah. So thanks a lot for listening in uh, to that discussion. I mean, you're hearing this in real time as we uh, as we think through these things. Tune in next time for another episode of Drew World Order.